I hope you're strapped in and strapped on. Tiffany Taylor, a licensed clinical social worker with over 15 years of mental health experience. My infertility journey, like I'm supposed to grow up and get married and have a baby. And now you're telling me, wait, that's not going to be just so simple. Hi, folks, and welcome back. Um, today, I am joined by Tiffany Taylor, a licensed clinical social worker with over 15 years of mental health experience. She is a sought-after sex therapist who provides therapy to both individuals and couples. In her practice, Tiffany is passionately committed to empowering people to unlock their potential for optimal sexual being, very important, <laughs> Re <laughs> resolve sexual concerns, and enhance their sexual connection. In addition to her wonderful work as a therapist, she's a mother of a 13-year-old daughter, an Army combat veteran serving in the U.S. Army Reserves now as a behavioral health officer, and mind, body, and soul correspondent for The Kenny Burns Show, What Does She Not Do? <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> Tiffany. I'm so glad wow. to have you. That was a great intro. Thank you. Oh my gosh, so it's all you. Here. You did the work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I also love your your motto is, uh, and I'm going to share it with with everyone now because I want to make sure I include it. But um, <laughs> sex is sacred, not a secret. Take time to explore your body and unlock the door to pleasure. That is, Ooh. that's powerful. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, so today we're gonna we're gonna cover a few things, but um, mm -hmm. you know. We're going to get into our primary topic today here in a moment. Um, but before we do that, Tiffany, could you tell our audience just a little bit about your background and your journey in, in becoming a sex therapist and doing what you do? Oh, okay. Um, well, I am a social worker by trade. Mm -hmm. um, and I got into social work because my dad's a social worker as well. And he is a veteran as well. Hmm. Um, <laughs> um, so I always knew that I wanted to work with people who had experienced sexual abuse. I am a survivor. I um, experienced sexual trauma when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was just something, um, I knew that I always wanted to help people in that area. So social work kind of, I wanna say found me. I feel like I was born into it because Although my mom doesn't have a degree in social work, I feel like she embodies all the <laughs> characteristics of a social worker. Yeah. Here's where it starts to all come together. Undergrad, I did health science education, so like okay. public health. Yeah. Right? And then I got my master's in social work, and I did my thesis um, about rape and incest hmm. in the African-American community. Hmm. And I went to work. Yeah, because I had student loans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And a family. And my first job um, was in forensic social work, and um, I did it in two different aspects, like in the court system. But I also worked at a hospital, a children's hospital, being a first responder for oh, kids wow. who had been sexually abused. <laughs> That's that is hard. It was hard. Um, well, it, was, it wasn't just sexual abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, all abuse, right? Yeah. Um, but that's when I realized that wasn't for me. I, I could not be yeah. in that aspect. It was a lot. Um, so uh, the great thing about social work is so many different areas. I feel like I've worked in probably every area of social work. Mm. Um, and then life happened. I ended up getting a divorce. <laughs> 
and went on this self-discovery and that's Mm. how I like fell in love with sex therapy um of course during that um well before I got a divorce had infertility issues Mm -hmm. um getting pregnant so I just feel like sex intimacy has kind of like interwoven itself in my life yeah Um, it's come up so many different times um and it's not a lot of places that you can talk about it I feel like there's more avenues now um so I just wanted to be a safe place for people to be able to get help yeah I love that I I I mean I see that in you know what you have shared on social media and and you know and your your motto that we shared previously and I I mean one thank you for sharing your your journey there I think not not that it's um extremely common but I think when I entered sort of the sex ed space it was more common than I expected for um so many of us, myself included, and I share that on the show, who experienced mm-hmm. um, situations of, of sexual abuse, sexual trauma, or sexual assault, often at right. an early age, who after yes. processing that to a certain extent said, okay, now what am I going to do about it to, to save as many people in this planet that I right. can or pr- protect them or give them the tools and resources to cope better than I did or whatever that looks like. And so, mm-hmm. um, I mean, being a first responder, especially in, in the wake of your own experience, um, I, I think it's amazing that you did it. I understand why it wasn't for you in the long term. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> that is a lot to process yeah. like every day. I feel like you have to have some serious self-care routine to, to get through that mm-hmm. one. Um, but that's awesome. So um, that's led you here today. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. you said you've got a ton of, of diverse social work experience, but um, are now kind of honed in on working with folks in, in sort of the sex therapy uh, general context. Um, what are... What are some um, common themes that you find you frequently are sort of addressing with um, clients? Are there specific things that kind of come up over and over again that you are most interested in your professional life? Um, I feel like right now what I'm seeing a lot in my practice is mis- mismatched libidos. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, and there are also kink and BDSM is really kind of making its way to the forefront. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's always say. been here, right? But yeah. people are, it's not like this real, well, it's still taboo, but people are talking about it. People are asking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And I mean, it's so vast. I mean, I don't even feel like I'm like a total expert in it, but um, right. People are wanting to like come and explore and be like, again, have a safe place to talk about, like, what are these feelings? What are these desires that I'm having? Um, You know, am I weird for wanting to experience this? And then also what is really big is, or I see a lot of is polyamory. (laughs) Mm, Also, also more talked about now. I mean, which is great. Mm -hmm. Like, it just wasn't something I feel like five years ago, even we like couldn't talk about ethical nominogamy, like couldn't really talk about BDSM as as much as we're doing now on social media. Yeah. Um, And then of course, um, because I, you know, do share a lot about my infertility journey, that definitely is something that comes up um, because it it really takes a toll on a relationship or can take a toll on a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, that's a very natural segue. Um, (laughs) I, (laughs) 
You like the way I did that? <laughs> yeah, like it was very good, very smooth. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so so let's, you know, I think there are kind of two elements here, right? So you said, obviously, you, you experienced um, challenges facing infertility, uh, trying to get pregnant. Um, and of course, you know, talk through it with, with clients that you have. Um, I think for folks who are, uh, listening, who maybe haven't experienced infertility firsthand or don't have folks in their lives who have, who have struggled with it. Could you maybe, um, share some of the nuances of, of struggling with infertility that maybe, um, maybe people don't quite understand. Obviously there are a lot of different, uh, conditions or, um, factors that can can lead to infertility but maybe right. any kind of additional uh, detail that you can add for, for folks who aren't familiar with it so um i was one of those early bloomers right that started my menstrual cycle at 10 mm. <laughs> and um but it had always kind of been like irregular mm. didn't really care growing up right because yeah. i mean no one we don't have sex education you know, everything yeah. I kind of learned about my body, I, I just happened upon or when I got in college and was in, I was in health science education. So I learned a yeah. little bit. Um, but when I got married, um, we knew that we wanted to have kids, um, didn't really have a timeline. And I had decided I was going to find a new OBGYN. Um, <laughs> so... She did some testing, just like normal testing, and was like, I think you have PCOS. And I'm like, WPS. Like, yeah, what, what, what is, and what is that? And yeah. what do you mean? And what does that mean? Um, interestingly enough, the photographer for my wedding hmm. had gone through fertility issues, and she had shared that with me that they had been trying to get pregnant and they were um doing in vitro and she like right after we had got married um ended up conceiving through in vitro and I was like this is what she has yeah <laughs> and I was like totally blown away and so of course you know like most people I went to the internet <laughs> to start um researching yeah and um found out that that's like the number one, um, well, one of the number reasons, right, for people to have infertility issues and like never had heard of it. No doctor ever said anything about it. Um, <laughs> and then I think maybe like a few months later, I also got diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And mm. both of them are autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Um, so then I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to get lupus? Like it just, it sent me in a whirlwind of things, as you yeah. can imagine. At that moment or at that point in our lives, we weren't like actively trying to get pregnant. So mm -hmm. I just kind of like, you know, was like, whatever. Because before that, I was trying to just deal with, a lot of the symptoms that come along with PCOS, which was the weight gain and not understanding, like, it's not as easy or as simple for other people mm. <laughs> um, to lose weight because I was 
doing, I felt like I was doing all the things. Um, and then I also experienced like the hair growth. Um, I'm trying to think what other symptoms did I have. Mood swings was definitely one. Mm. Um, Do those symptoms start um, like post-pubescent or they manifest a little bit later? Um, I feel like the, some of them probably started for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, after puberty, definitely. I know that like the hair growth I was experiencing, you know, as a young adult. Okay. Um, but I just, I mean, it runs in my family. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, you know, thought it was like normal. Yeah. So normal. Yeah. I didn't, you know say or do anything or knew the questions to even ask about it so um and my mom didn't have any you know issues conceiving I'm her only child so you know again didn't really know to ask questions yeah and without prompting an OBGYN they may not Mm -hmm. be looking for I mean I think PCOS um polycystic ovarian syndrome I think that's is that the right that's right Mm -hmm. um I think it can be diagnosed sort of at any um, point in someone's life, but but typically, right, doesn't get sort of caught, if you will, until folks are starting to think through a potential pregnancy. Right. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Which is so sad, right? Because I think you can prepare for it more. I mean, I don't think at any time finding out, right, <laughs> that yeah. you have it is is a great time, but when you're actually really trying, you're like in that mode to like conceive. Yeah, you know, it it definitely can really take a toll on your self esteem and how you feel about yourself. Hmm. Um, because this is what we well for me, <laughs> this yeah. is what I've been told that I'm supposed to do. Right, because mm-hmm. I was little Tiffany. Like, I'm supposed to grow up yeah. and get married and have a baby. And now you're telling me, wait, that's not going to be just so simple. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought we just had sex and the baby just popped. Yeah, that was it. That's, <laughs> there's two steps. Sex, yeah. one, two, baby. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's not what happened. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Can you... Um, you know, either from your own personal experience or in experience, um, experiences you've had with, with clients, you know, can you speak more to some of the impact emotionally, physically, and psychologically that, that fertility issues can, can cause? Yeah. Um, so (laughs) from a personal side, um, I still feel like for, I was very, um, fortunate in my experience. I did not have to go through in vitro. We did have to take, I had to take a medication called Clomid that kind of um, stimulates the follicles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And we had to be very, very strategic (laughs) um, in our interactions. Um, And I did have to get, uh, I forgot the technical term for the test, but where they go in, um, it's like an x-ray, but they uh, kind of um, shoot this dye up to make sure there's no blockage in your tube. 
Oh yeah, it's, it's not technical. it's not a type of MRI, but it's a it's an X-ray, I think. But is it an X-ray? But it's a special type of X-ray. Right, right. Got and they it. shoot the dye up your tubes um, mm-hmm. to make sure there's no blockage, which is wild, by the way. <laughs> right, um, and then of course he had to do um, the specimen collection, which was mm-hmm. like a whole. <laughs> <laughs> A whole uh, <laughs> situation um, as well because he was a little, for me, now looking back on it, he was a little bit shameful about mm. having to go take his own specimen back. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, Yeah, you're, you're between the two of us, one of us is having a little bit of a harder time here. Which, <laughs> right. which one of us is it? <laughs> no, but I, I think I think that makes sense. There is such a stigma. Um, mm-hmm. ab- I mean, about conception from from, you know, the, the men's perspective, just as much as the women's just it just manifest in a different way. Right. And I want to come back to that because I have an yeah. interesting story to tell about how when he tells the story about this, he he does not think that we had any issues <laughs> and I'm like oh. what yeah but that's because he didn't go to a lot of appointments with me I, I went to right. them mostly by myself until you know I was pregnant but anyways yeah. back to the original question um <laughs> it was scary and I didn't have a lot of friends um that had experienced that so yeah. it wasn't I didn't, of course I could talk to my friends about it, but it's just different if you, mm-hmm. they couldn't necessarily relate. Yeah. Um, and of course people just would be like, well, you should try this, you know, and stand on your head and mm-hmm. you need to do it this time. Um, it's People didn't really understand. Yeah. He's like, no, it's it's not, look, I'm having sex. <laughs> That's not the <laughs> issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as far as our relationship and what I do see um, in my practice working with people is the connection part of having sex kind of dwindles because it becomes like a transaction. Mm. Um, For me, like I literally, you know, I I was um, tracking my ovulation every morning and uh, I worked in the evening at that point and he worked in the daytime and so this particular day, I was ovulating and my temp was, you know, up a little bit. And I called him or texted him. I was like, you have to come home. Like, it's time. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, he even said, like, I feel like you're using me, right? Mm. And it's funny because, like, when I've told this story to other, shared this story with other men, they'll be like, oh, I don't, you know, I wouldn't care. And, you know, we can do it, whatever. But I don't know. If, Maybe that's what I think men think. Yeah. Until you're actually in it. Yeah. And there, <laughs> there's no, uh, it's very transactional. And yeah. that definitely took a, a toll intimacy-wise for us because, you know, I would only want to. And a lot of, um, that's why a lot of couples end up coming in as well because, mm you kind of created this environment where sex was transactional. Yeah. Um, and now they have had the baby. 
and they don't and, have sex anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Along yeah. with all the other things that happens when you become new parents as well. Um, yeah. You know, but if especially if you have been trying to conceive for, you know, years, like that's years of possibly transactional sex, right? Yeah, totally. Where every month there's like this letdown. Um, which also is very interesting to me because then sometimes what I've seen is um, you have created this habit of like after having sex, um, there's like this sadness that kind of mm. occurs because you're just like, well, did I do it enough? Did I do it right? Did I, you know, instead yeah. of being present and in the moment and really just connecting with your partner, you're just thinking about it. Was this the time, you know? Yeah. Was this the, the interaction that I needed to happen in order to conceive? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it seems like there can be so much pressure at sort of every step, right? To your point about tracking ovulation. I mean, there's a, a pressure on, on you or on, on the, the person trying to conceive who, um, to, to like get the timing right, right? To mm -hmm. understand how to like check your vitals and know your cycle and know your body. And then, you know, of course, pressure on, um, you know, the, the, the penis owner or the man in the situation to mm -hmm. perform like, you know, whatever, whatever that means um, in, in his mind. And then um, the, the, I mean, I feel like during the sex, like you said, transactional, because I, for me, and of course I, I haven't experienced this firsthand, but in my mind, I feel like the the mindset isn't almost there, right? In the moment, you're not focused on your own pleasure or right. necessarily your partner's pleasure. It's, um, you know, is this gonna is this gonna be the time? Is this gonna be the time? And sort of the the moments mm -hmm. after. And then I imagine too, if it if it doesn't come to fruition, if if you don't conceive after that time, the grief, right? And then knowing that you have to do it all over again in hopes of of making it work, right? That just made me think about. Um, I'm going to start asking couples when they come to me that are going through that, how many, when they are trying every month, the mm. sex that they are having is the vulva owner, the female, are they actually having orgasms? Yeah. Are they, you know, because it's, it does become transactional and they're not focused on pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously orgasms are different for everyone, but like I'm, right. I've, I've talked about this on the show, but like I'm the kind of person where like I gotta be focused. Like if I if mm -hmm. I like, see a fly on the wall, like I'm lost. Like it's it's like right. I have to be so. I, I mean, I practice mindfulness for many reasons, mm -hmm. but I think to you know experience sexual pleasure is an important one, and mindfulness I think comes up a lot when I talk when I talk to sex coaches and sex therapists and like, mm -hmm. it's hard to be mindful when you're thinking about your future, right? You're mm -hmm. fo so focused on, on the hope of creating life that like, how, you know, why make time for an orgasm if that's the end goal? Right. right? <laughs> yeah. The end goal is the baby, not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, not, I'm not saying that's what the standpoint should be. Right. But I feel mm -hmm. like it's, it's a lot for one person to try to process and, you know, right. the span of a few minutes. Right. Or even if they we'll take the orgasm out. Like, is it even pleasurable? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Does it, does it even really, yeah, provide any physical or emotional gratification mm -hmm. beyond maybe the 
like I don't know I feel like the, the feeling after you are do something sort of productive you know like oh mm-hmm. nice like I got, got my laundry done that's another thing off the to-do list which is not how sex and intimacy should be treated at all right right and definitely when I think about um you know people who may have PCOS or fibroids yeah. or um you know any other kind of gynecological situation going on and if you're taking infertility treatment which is tons of hormones yeah like you're just all over the place <laughs> a mess really um so like how do you i feel like it's a struggle to focus anyways yeah. right um yeah you just are a ball of emotions so yeah, yeah. Were there in in your experience or in in conversations you've had in your practice? Are there any moments or kind of sp- specific turning points or even revelations, sort of during that infertility journey, um, or kind of journey to get pregnant, that led you to focus on the sexual empowerment piece, or sort of the 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 you know wake up call of um, I'm still a sexual being and I have to kind of think of myself as such. So I feel like there was two major um, periods in my life that kind of sparked this uh, passion for me. Mm. Um, And definitely the infertility journey was a part because I really had to get in tune with my body um, Mm. with, you know, tracking the ovulation and the changes in your body so now I'm definitely like without me using like an actual ovulation tracker I can tell by like my moods I can tell by my vaginal discharge Mm -hmm. (laughs) um the way my breasts feel um if I'm you know my bloatingness (laughs) yeah totally because I had to get in tune with my body um and then the other significant time in my life was when I was going through my divorce and I did not want to be intimate I I didn't want Mm. to be intimate with him I didn't want to be intimate with myself Mm. and I enjoy I I hadn't previously enjoyed self-cultivation aka masturbation Mm -hmm. (laughs) prior to that and I felt like I had died down there um and so when we actually we separated and I moved out. Um, I, I went on a journey like, okay, no, like we're not going <laughs> to live the rest of our life <laughs> not experiencing <laughs> pleasure. Yeah. And I really tapped into like the fact that I didn't receive, you know, sex education. Um, and really understand what pleasure meant for me. Yeah. Um, what I liked and what I didn't like. And what I most definitely made a vow to myself was that I wasn't going to endure anymore. Mm. Meaning, you know, enduring means long suffering, right? So just yeah. how many times had I just had interactions and not necessarily that I didn't want to, but I yeah. wasn't able, I hadn't been able to communicate what it is that I like or what I didn't like, yeah. or 
feel confident in myself to say, oh, move this way or do more of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, those two periods in my life, like, set a fire in me. Um, mm. And then just having, I have, I'm very fortunate that I have a great um, village. Most of, most of yeah. my close friends are either um, social workers or mental health counselors. And, mm. you know, so you can only imagine the conversations yeah. that we have, you know, doing vision board parties and um, just, you know, debriefing sometimes after yeah. work. And just, you know, of course, you know, we're like relationships and sex would come up and um, just having the discussion of like so many so many of us had experienced the same thing of like enduring and not really tapping into our own pleasure or trying to figure it out. Or we may know, but we don't feel comfortable or we don't feel confident yeah. saying or expressing what it is that we wanted from our partner or partners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's one sounds amazing. I, I mean, I'm sure that there are days where if every, all, you know, if everyone in a friend group is a, a social worker or mental health practitioner, that if everyone's kind of having a bad day, it might be a collective bad day for the friend group. But right. overall, I feel like um, we could all use at least one mental health practitioner in the friend group who can like give us some of the the like mm -hmm. informal debrief obviously don't don't treat your friends as therapists everyone oh no no right pay, yeah pay therapist but 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 to your yeah. point like to have the support system especially because as you mentioned it's it can be isolating if you don't have a, a best friend who's who's you know experienced fertility issues right or if you don't have mm -hmm. someone you can turn to or it doesn't run in your family and um so I mean that's that's great. I'm I'm so glad that you had that, and I hope that other folks experiencing fertility issues are able to seek a, a support system too that that knows right. at least um, at the minimum how to how to be a listening ear and and be kind of a um, you know a comfort in some way. Um, and a therapist. I want and to go a therapist. Because I also have yeah. therapists as well. Crucial. So I've been with I've had actually had therapy today, but. Um, have had the same therapist since um, since two years after we got married. So I would have been married almost eighteen years. So I've wow. been with her for sixteen years now. So she knows me pretty well. Um, I love and, and that. I've been through <laughs> been through lots of things, but lots of different eras in my life. So yeah, yeah. That those relationships are so powerful and. Therapy is not our topic for the day, I know, but I, I mean, I tell yeah. everyone I, I've been seeing my therapist for four years and I, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just amazing. I mean, the, the tools that I have as a person, but also having someone who has, has the toolkit and also has that intimate knowledge of you and, and, um, mm -hmm. yeah, even just, you know, processing, you know, capital T trauma, but also just like some maintenance, you know, some mental upkeep. I think it's so important. Right. Um, right. I want to I want to go back to something else that you um, kind of those two periods that, that you were just mentioning, I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, of course, I would never under any circumstances wish fertility issues on on anyone. But I think right. the point you made about the sensitivity to and familiarity with your own body and, and the cycles that, you know, you know, vulva owners as women in particular go through. Um, 
I think that's really powerful because, um, you know, I, I think we live in a society, one that certainly doesn't celebrate <laughs> the monthly cycle or the menstrual cycle, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and if anything, kind of puts a, a ton of shame around it, right? But listening to um, and even sometimes celebrating the changes in your body, right? So like the changes mm-hmm. in your breasts, the changes in discharge, the changes in your flow, whatever that whatever that looks like to you, I feel like is something that should be paid attention to and celebrated kind of regardless of the circumstances or whether or not you want to get pregnant. Because I think it's when we're aware of those things that we can embrace um, our, our body and kind of its natural beauty, but also be more attuned to when things are off, right? Or if there are changes that um, aren't normal um, so that we can ask the right questions to our our doctors, our OBGYNs. I think um, it's it's a powerful powerful point um, that I think gets overlooked. Yeah, definitely agree. And you also made a point about sex education and being mm-hmm. on your own post divorce. And um, <laughs> I think, I mean, it it is especially without sex education or the state of sex education um, even now. If you have an expectation that pleasure is tied to this function of being a spouse being a procreator and nothing else that like getting getting down to business with yourself is like one of the most important things to unpack mm-hmm. right definitely I took some time um post-divorce <laughs> yeah. to really learn my body in that way you know I wasn't talking about like I, I had decided that I didn't want to endure anymore and that pleasure um was a priority for me yeah. if I were going to have, you know, any type of intimate interaction with someone. I think what I've learned in <clears throat> um, in my studies of sex therapy and sex education is that, you know, pleasure is personal. Um, I think so often, and this is sometimes a, a very hard pill for some people to swallow when I tell Mm. them this, when they come to me for coaching or therapy is that your pleasure is your responsibility. Like Mm -hmm. we put way, 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 way too much pressure on our partner or partners to make me come or, (laughs) you know, um, it's your responsibility to make me feel good. And I mean, I, I've definitely was guilty of that as well. But, um, you know, through learning I and changing my own mindset, I feel like I have way, way more positive experiences because for me and what I, you know, encourage and teach is that you have to turn your own damn self on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you can't do it for yourself, then how are you going to teach someone else? How are you going to show someone else? what to do how do we even know if you are or not yeah yeah and there's there's such a difference too between like a um mental attraction or a fantasy and like actually doing the thing and being physically pleasured by it right it's like mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a self-exploration journey to figure out um and communicate like what you think is hot right Mm -hmm. right Right. And then if you throw on the layer, right, not having, not having been, um, 
having proper sex education, mm-hmm. there being shame and guilt, um, growing, we didn't even talk about like growing up in the South. And yeah. uh, for me, I was a church girl, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being a person of color. So shame mm-hmm. and guilt and being taught that like, you know, ladies, respectable ladies don't do certain things. Um, yeah. And then adding on to that, you know, experiencing sexual trauma, those are a lot of things yeah. that would definitely, you know, deter you from experiencing pleasure. And I love what you said about, like, you have to practice a lot of um, mindfulness, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely something that I have to have discussions with about um, with when people come to who have experienced sexual trauma as well. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, I and you know, I I um have talked about it in other episodes, but for me, like mindfulness was a, a game changer in my relationship to my body and my myself as a sexual entity kind of in the wake of of sexual assault and, you know, I hadn't realized how much I was disassociating right from my right from my body um in mm-hmm. order to go through the motions of sexual pleasure right and and right. to endure yeah to endure exactly and um you know i think with with the you know especially now and you know i work when i work with um when i teach sex ed i teach ages 12 to 15 um it's oh. a big big age group um and right i mean kids today have access to you know, porn and internet that I did not certainly didn't have access to. And so there's another mm-hmm. added layer, I think, for upcoming generations in terms of this relationship to um, mindfulness and um, understanding your own pleasure versus sort of what you what you found on Google and like how you think pleasure is supposed to look. And um, that's mm-hmm. a separate rabbit hole. But it, it's all it's all woven into um, in the wake of physical and emotional trauma or, or challenges as it pertains to um, your body and sex, it's so important to take time to be present with yourself and explore. And it's right. I think it's like more people should have like a, there, there are some sex coaches that have really great language for this that, that I'm now drawing a blank on. Maybe, maybe you have some, but like meditative masturbation, I want to say like doesn't mm-hmm. you don't even have you don't even have to touch yourself but just being present and thinking through how your body feels and like what you like about your body and what you like to be touched versus not I think those things are important but they're it's hard to challenge ourselves to to sit down and do that sometimes yeah I can't think of a word but what comes to mind when you said that would be like a sensual body scan yeah I love that mm-hmm. a sensual body yeah. scan because that, that to me feels like it's got like a there's like a scientific element to that too. Like it's it's like the the therapy homework that my therapist gives me, right? <laughs> in, a good, in a good way, right? So if you think about um, uh, like progressive relaxation um, mm-hmm. exercises that you know your therapist or you know you could be on the Insight app, right? But adding yeah. your your intimacy, sexual sexual being into it as well. But like you know doing the body scan of the, like the progressive relaxation, but thinking about yeah. it of, okay, how does this feel? Um, you know, when I wiggle my toes, do I feel anything in my mm. <laughs> genitals or, yeah. you know what I mean? That's, that's what I was kind of thinking when you were saying that. Yeah. I love that. People at home mm-hmm. give it a try, honestly. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> what are in terms of so you we've talked quite a bit about how transactional um sex can be with a partner and any I think sex with yourself too um in sort of the wake of of infertility or, or struggles with infertility um what are some tools or um you know approaches that couples can use to try to reinstate intimacy either kind of during the attempts to conceive or um after either you know a child is conceived or or maybe they take a step back from trying to to conceive altogether um so a few things i i think are important one exercise that i like to share is it's called a three minute game okay and um emily dotson i think is the person who created this game but Mm -hmm. basically you take turns asking each other where would you like for me to touch you Mm. for three minutes wow (laughs) that sounds fun (laughs) Uh uh-huh and typically when I'm assigning this, I instruct that, you know, you shouldn't yeah. <laughs> have sex, right? Because mm-hmm. some people would use that, especially if you haven't been having it to be like, oh, let me put my penis in you or, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But that's, that's not the not goal fair. of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and oftentimes when I've had a, couples to do this and they're like oh my gosh I didn't realize like how much I just like to have my back rubbed Hmm. or have my hair stroked and how that ignited something in them just you know experiencing that and I think there is safety and comfortability that is um ignited in it because oftentimes they know that they don't have to do anything right yeah it, it takes the transactional out of it. Um, I love that. Yeah. And then for um, people who aren't partnered, I typically will assign, so I like to call it pleasure work instead of homework. <laughs> um, body mapping, which can be done in, in, in a couple, right, as well, partnered. Mm-hmm. But um, I think body mapping is not uh, talked about as well as much when you are solo. Yeah. Because again, like getting in touch with your body. Um, I remember when I was, you know, post-divorce and on that self-discovery every Friday night, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like... I, I, So I call myself a sensualist, right? I love to invoke like all my senses, right? And um, I find that that's very helpful as well for people who have experienced some type of sexual trauma. But, um, you know, I would light my candles, turn my music on, take a hot shower or a hot bath and just get in the mirror and look at my, just explored my body and touched it. And, you know, a lot of times self-cultivation yeah (laughs) happened because I was so enthralled by my own self um and I think that is a big piece of like healing 
that shame that you might have experienced mm-hmm. of not feeling that you were good enough or you know my body doesn't work properly or isn't yeah. working properly my body's failing me um no it's not necessarily failing you um it's just you know having some te- technical difficulties <laughs> right so that doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be loved on right yeah. um and that it doesn't need to be embraced um because stress is like a really big thing and it can definitely affect your cycles as well Mm -hmm. right which would then affect your ovulation and everything else yeah um that kind of goes along with that so those are two I mean tools that I definitely probably use in in with everybody that I work with mostly because I I feel like those are the beginnings the baby the baby blocks right the foundation I love, I love both of those things. I mean, I, you know, as, as, um, just someone who hasn't been doing those homework assignments consciously necessarily, but I mean, like mm-hmm. one thing, one thing for me is when I'm stressed or overwhelmed, I ask my, my partner, my husband to just lay flat on top of me mm. and, and just like, it's like a, it's like a thunder blanket or like a weighted blanket. Like I was going to say like a weighted blanket. Yeah. yeah, it is. I was thinking a thunder jacket, like for my dog when it, when it storms, but it's, it's, it is that where it's like, I'm fully clothed. Like I don't expect him to even embrace me or kiss me or do anything that I would deem sort of stereotypically intimate. But like, I just want physical closeness. And I'm, mm-hmm. I guess I'm it's sort of like the opposite of claustrophobia. Like I want to be pressed mm-hmm. like, and, and to me, that's really soothing. And like, I, I imagine probably around the three minute mark is when I start to say, okay, now my legs are falling asleep. You can get up. Thank <laughs> you so much. But, um, right. yeah. um, and I think that the the body mapping is so. I mean, I, I hope that more people are exploring themselves in mirrors because it's um, it's something that I don't know. I feel like people are starting to talk more about body mapping in a little bit more of a casual way. But like, it's so mm-hmm. important. It's so important to um, appreciate your form and everything it does. And to your point, in 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 the context of fertility issues, my assumption and and correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption is that there is a, um, you, you know, you mentioned, especially for folks who are brought up, like being a mother is, is part of womanhood and I'm not, you know, I'm not living mm-hmm. up to my life objective. If I can't be a, a mother the way I'm supposed to be a mother or, or whatever sort of emotional reaction there is to, to the infertility issue. And I think there's so much self-worth and self-value tied to, um, conceiving, and being a, a a mother, the the physically traditional way of, of conceiving and being right, um, yeah, and that um, it's important to ground yourself in the value that your body still has, it, even kind of despite the the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, what what role would you say open and, and honest communication play in in kind of coping with infertility? Um, kind of either as an individual communicating to their support system or kind of within the the bounds of a relationship um it's a hundred percent hundred percent important right because you well okay in the confines of a, a relationship or partnership the person who is you know 
I know people use the language we are trying to conceive, mm. but you know, as the the vulva owner or the person that's carrying the baby, when you think about one, like all of the hormones that are just going on, yeah, that can make you feel <laughs> happy at one point and sad and then happy and sad at the same time um or angry or a myriad of emotions yeah you have to it's important to figure out a way to communicate that whether because sometimes you can't find the words and you Mm. might only just be able to cry right um so sometimes I will suggest I just did this with one of in one of my sessions today um because one of the partners has trouble articulating their emotions. And so I told them to get a feelings chart, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, if, if you can't say the words, it's still important to communicate it because how can the person support you if yeah. they don't know what's going on? And then they actually told me, and I didn't know, not that like we're sponsored by iPhone or whatever, that I guess there's an <laughs> app that you can get called um, Live App. And I guess it shows on your phone, like you can update it and like, have you heard of the app paired for couples? I don't know if you've heard of that. I've I've heard of it, Right. So to me, it's similar to this, except like you can um, share kind of like in live time your emotions, whether it's like an emoji or like a sentence, which I thought it was really cool. Um, I love that. And b- the reason why we even, it came up in our session is because I was suggesting um, that sitting down and like pulling up your emoji screen and coming up with your own translation of what different emojis mean mm. um, so that you can share that with your partner as yeah. well. So like, you know, if you're away from each other and you're having a bad day, you could just send that emoji and the, you know, your person knows. Yeah. Um, I love so that. that- that actually came up today in in my session that's interesting but definitely communication is so 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 important because you do need that um support and not only that but being able to articulate how do you want support some people just need you to just come sit by them Mm -hmm. um, and not say anything some people are talk, talk, talkers. Yeah. <laughs> and some people, um, for me right now, hugging is like my, my jam. Like, <laughs> my boyfriend <laughs> probably thinks I'm very crazy because I just <laughs> want to hug and he'll be like, okay. And I'm like, still holding on. I'm like, no, like, there's so much the, the power, the emotional connection, the heart chakras, all of that, right? Just yeah. connecting for like 30 seconds it feels a little awkward when people first try to do it mm-hmm. but it's so like soothing um I love that. so you know whatever it is that that you need so not only saying hey I need help but like how do you need help yeah yeah I love I love the idea of um like sort of the digitization of of feelings honestly <laughs> because because we do live in such a 
digital society that some I'm mean, not to say that that means we can't speak to our feelings as well I think we're we're all I mean generally as a society like pretty pretty vocal but there's still quite a bit mm-hmm. of shame around certain feelings and and difficulty communicating but like the accessibility of like hey I'm sending you the turtle emoji and you know what that means <laughs> and you right. know the implications of the turtle emoji I, I love that right it's something yeah, that yeah um it's like your own little language yeah to me there's an intimacy in creating that with a partner mm-hmm. too um right. just setting up communication rules I feel like is a is a practice or for me at least would feel like a practice and intimacy in its own right mm-hmm. and I think um I guess when I'm imagining like a couple doing it like that's also a time that you maybe you haven't been able to express what it is you might have been feeling or experiencing and just seeing a certain emoji sparks that in you and you'd be like oh you know that this emoji is like I I do feel like this sometimes and being Mm. able to explain it then but it maybe you weren't able to articulate it before Mm. yeah no I mean that's that's a really good point sometimes it is the the prompt to help us kind Mm -hmm. of get there right yep um so earlier uh, in the episode, you mentioned um, that in your fertility infertility journey that you and your now ex-husband like kind of tell the story <laughs> completely differently or have completely <laughs> different perspectives on it. Could you, it sounded like you wanted to come back to that. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that experience was and, and like what you've made of it now kind of in hindsight. <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and the interesting thing about my ex-husband and I is that we're both social workers. We actually ah, met in grad school. Okay. Um, I feel like that's an added so, layer. <laughs> right, right, right. And so um, we met in grad school. We were married for 10 years. Um, I have to give him like a big shout out. Like we, I could not do all the things that I do without his like support with our you know, exceptionally talented, beautiful daughter, because mm. she is in all the things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his <laughs> his experience when he tells this, I don't even know if he tells the story that we even went through anything because, mm. you know, we were married for five years before we actually started trying to conceive. Yeah. We weren't, were not, right? <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. around five years, I'm like, okay, like I'm ready. Um, whereas, you know, some people, I would say maybe a lot of people would have probably just gotten pregnant, right? Because we weren't not trying. Yeah. Um, right. And then I'm like, oh, wait, that conversation that I had with the doctor five years ago when we first got married, I probably need to like circle back around <laughs> about yeah. that. Um, and so, you know, once I realized, okay, you know, I'm not getting pregnant, um, and went back to the doctor, uh, and that kind of started like a series of like monthly doctor visits, um, mm. because they had me trying different things and um, had us on a schedule, uh, and I think he probably just thought, oh, you know, <laughs> we're just doing stuff um and then like having to go get the I really think it's an x-ray but your tube's blown out 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just all of the appointments. And then what also ended another layer that ended up happening is because I was 33, 34, almost what they consider to be uh, old, right? Ger- geriatric <laughs> pregnancy. Right. Insane. Yeah. And, yeah. And then he actually was born with cysts in one of his kidneys and had to be okay. removed. So it also made me be high risk. And uh. I de- developed preeclampsia. The only reason why I bring that up is because I've, we, before, you know, we had separated, I would like say, oh, you know, I have PCOS and like we have fertility issues. And he would like almost like try to correct me. And I'm like, I don't. I don't know where you were. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know where he was. He wasn't at all the appointments, right? Right. Um, yeah. And having to take pregnancy tests every month. <laughs> yeah. And they're not being, um, you know, it being negative, um, which is like a whole mind. Yeah. You can say fuck. <laughs> it was a mind oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. It's a mind <laughs> fuck, right? Um, every month, like, I don't think anybody just was like, I love rejection, right? Right. Um, yeah. Unless that's your kink. Wait, unless that's your kink. <laughs> Work, we accept that here. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, that that was that it, it it was definitely an interesting time. I think um because I've you know, because I am so passionate about it now, he kind of changes his language a little bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um yeah, it was not it wasn't a fun time and definitely put a strain on our relationship of, you know, him just feeling like it was transactional and like I, there was no like connection or intimacy during that period of time for us. It yeah. just was, um, yeah, we're chop, chop, let's do yeah. it. So I could <laughs> in and get out, this in baby in me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think, um, my, I mean, my guess, and you obviously have um, folks in your practice who experience this firsthand, so I'm, I'm sure you see that sort of different um, shapes that this can take. But yeah, I mean, my guess is that there are probably a lot of um, situations where the, the penis owner in the situation just like doesn't, like can't fully wrap their mind around it, right? Especially because, mm-hmm. not to say that, that they haven't also been conditioned to have fatherhood as part of their identity, but it's I do think it is so different from this construct around motherhood and um it just looks it looks different and it's tied differently to their bodily form and like there is something to be said about having to be in doctor's offices all the time and right like very medical outlook on your physical form all the time Mm -hmm. that um it is I think hard hard to relate to if you're not experiencing it firsthand no matter how close you are to the situation Mm mm-hmm I think other thing that's so um, another mindfuck thing with yeah. <laughs> um, having PCOS is like you, one of the symptoms of it is like the weight gain, especially like in your abdomen area, but it's also wow. very um, hard to lose weight mm-hmm. because it kind of mimics um, diabetes. Right. Um, in some ways. And so you have trouble losing weight, 
And when you go to the doctor, they say you need to lose weight and that will probably help increase your chances. And it's like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for some people, then they, you know, that could lead you down a whole nother path of, of having created an unhealthy relationship with food because you yeah. want this baby so much, right? Or an unhealthy body image as well. So, yeah, it can be oh, yeah. very daunting. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think that's what's important for for folks to understand, right? Because, it, it, you know, for people who haven't experienced it firsthand, I think sort of what you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like some people want to just say, oh, you know, try this, this, and this, you know, put your legs up in the air or even adopt, right? Or get an egg donor or, or right. whatever, whatever buzzwords that they've heard in you know in whatever context that they're like oh just try that like why can't you do that and it's um it's there's so many layers of my body has this difficulty for one reason or another whether PCOS or other other things and to your point a lot of the a lot of the conditions or syndromes or um factors that contribute to infertility often have other symptoms right that are difficult Mm -hmm. to deal with in some shape or form or also lead to other symptoms that can lead to like a, a higher risk pregnancy or, um, you know, more difficult to get. Right. I mean, it's, it's like an echo chamber of, of, of issues, physical issues. And I think, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, there, there is so much to be said about the, the healing and, and the sexual empowerment that can come out of an experience. Right. Like fertility. And I, I want people to take away the fact that that, that is so important, but also understand that it's not just a, go get an egg donor or go adopt right it is more nuanced than Mm -hmm. that that's that's something that's I think I think it's just important for folks to understand yeah definitely I I definitely agree yeah um so what what kind of on that note what what advice would you offer to listeners I feel like you've already given so many tools but what advice would you (laughs) offer to listeners who um might be currently experiencing um you know, infertility or supporting a friend or a partner going through it in, in terms of, um, you know, retaining some of that self-love and, and self-worth and, you know, hope for sexual empowerment and, and pleasure going forward? So um, a few things, right? Definitely for couples, I would say, make sure that you are taking time to not have transactional. Yeah interactions whether that's like a date night where you don't talk about anything related to conceiving um whatever it may be you know whatever it is that you used to do um or enjoy together Mm. before you started this journey like reconnecting with who you are before this um because that's going to be so important right Mm -hmm. even after the baby that you connect with who you were before that um and then I also feel like it's definitely important to if you are the person going through on the journey um to give yourself grace Hmm. um I think about the self-talk the negative self-talk that I experience and that I hear from a lot of my clients and I always tell them like would you be okay if somebody on the street said this to you, right? Yeah. So then, yeah. like, why is it okay for you to say it to yourself? 
Yeah. So um, grace, just grace and being patient with yourself. Um, you know, your body is, has been running itself <laughs> before you even um, thought to know what to do or like worry about it, right? When we are younger, our bodies were was running ourselves. So yeah, it's just important for you to allow your body to heal naturally. Um, of course, you know, listen to your doctors as well. Um, yeah. But don't beat yourself up if things are not happening in the timeline that you want them to happen. Yeah. And just pay attention to that negative self-talk that you're experiencing. Um, I think it's it was definitely a good tool to like post affirmations and affirming yourself. Mm. Um, not only just for like your self-confidence, but like that body love, right? Like yeah. I, I know that my body is wonderfully made and that, you know, I can do all things. I'm strong. All those beautiful affirmations that, um, yeah. you know, you can come up with. And then yeah. if you have a friend who is experiencing it, being non-judgmental, right? Mm-hmm. I think it is one of the things that I experienced and not that I don't think that people were being um, mean or facetious or whatever. They just, they don't know, right? Because they didn't experience yeah. it. Um but just know like everybody it's not easy for everyone like everyone has their own story and just be non-judgmental and listen and support Mm -hmm. um and if you don't understand what they're going through then really you just need to listen just keep your mouth shut (laughs) and listen (laughs) um don't tell them no crazy things to do to stand on their head or (laughs) you know have sex 10 times a day like don't do oh. that just just listen and be supportive yeah um you know I think it's cool to like send a podcast or like refer them to an expert but not don't yeah. give them crazy wives tales or stuff to do so yeah 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 well what they really should do is send them to you right oh yeah <laughs> yes um Great plug. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm on it. Listen to the right <laughs> podcast and go to the right professionals. And there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tiffany, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me and our listener base here today. Um, for sharing your personal story. Thank you so much. I know um, you know, the honesty is important in in messages like this but still i really do appreciate your openness and on and honesty with us and um thank you so much for sharing tools too i feel like there's some for folks listening honestly whether facing infertility issues or other you know difficulties and intimacy in their relationship there's some stuff in here that people can take away and run with and that's always i think fun and exciting to be able to share as well so really thank you so much thank you it's a pleasure um for folks interested in connecting with you on, on social media or otherwise, what are the best ways for, for people <laughs> to get in touch with you? Um, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. IG is talk yo ish. 
love it. I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes below as well, so people can click directly. Yes, and I mean, I'm on Facebook, just Tiffany Taylor as well. Um, and then my practice is Soul Solutions. Um, it's also on IG and Facebook. So on IG is Soul Solutions with the S underscore G A, and then on Facebook it's just Soul Solutions. And awesome. website is soulsolutionsga.com. Perfect. And are you taking uh, clients virtually in addition to locally or just locally? I am. Um, so I am actually this week. Woo! Coming off active duty orders. Oh, I, I have been in North Carolina for the last year and a half. Um, so I have only, I didn't shut down the practice while I was gone, mm-hmm. but um, was only seeing people virtually and very selectively. Okay. So the doors are open. Um, I just secured new space. So I will resume seeing people in person next week. And um, I am excited. So you are the first to get that uh, new news, right, out that I am going to, my doors are open and accepting new clients um, in person and virtually. Okay. All righty. Well, that's exciting. So the Sexistentialist listener base is all over the U.S. and internationally. So listen up, folks. But um, that's super exciting. And I, like I said, will post all of that in the show notes below. So if you're interested in checking out Tiffany's website, Facebook, Instagram, um, check out the links below. Um, thank you again, Tiffany. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. And for folks listening in, I will talk to you all again soon. Thank you.